0: Gotta
1: tell somebody. This is the best thing
2: I've ever seen. That. Let's
1: talk
3: about that. You need this. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a
0: remarkable Big Daddy. Remarkable. Remarkable. Remarkable.
1: Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B two B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose to give you the b2b marketer the same storytelling techniques that the pros use in each episode you will learn techniques from hollywood pixar marvel and beyond from spielberg's hands to yours bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week i'm ian Faison, ceo of caspian studios this is remarkable this week we're talking about b2b marketing lessons from diary of a wimpy kid with founder of firminov marketing consulting Anna Furmanov. First of all, this is a journal, not a diary. Tomorrow is the first day of middle school.
3: But luckily, I'm not alone in this middle school thing. I've got my best friend, Rally.
1: Here's what you need to know. Watch where you sit on the first day of school. Don't use the bathroom on the second floor. And finally, don't get the cheese touch. Because if you do, you might as well be dead. Oh. Anna, how are you?
2: I'm doing great. I never thought I would get on a podcast to talk about Diary of a Wimpy Kid, but here I am.
1: But here you are. (laughs) And I should also note that you're the incredible podcast host of Modern Startup Marketing. So not only can you hear Anna today, but you can hear Anna every week uh, on her own podcast, which we'll link up in the show notes.
2: Thank you. Yes. And if you want to binge on the show, you don't have to wait every week. You can just do it every day. <laughs> That's
1: right. Yeah, you can listen every day for the next,
2: 170 for the days. next
1: many days.
2: <laughs>
1: and that is my new 2024 plan. First 170 days. Okay, Anna, so why the heck did you pick Diary of a Wimpy Kid?
2: You know, Ian, I'm starting to question why. No, I'm just kidding. So we're talking about content and... I like to think outside the box. A lot of the folks that you had on your show have talked about adult shows, and I'm like, why don't? there's a lot of great content that people just don't realize that is in the kids' world, which is the world that I'm in. <laughs> you know, 50% of my day is adult world, and 50% of my day is in the kid world. Maybe even more when kids, you know, cry from a nightmare at night, and then I have to. Help them out there. So probably more than fifty percent. But I really, actually, maybe it's been like a year, maybe more. But as my kids have gotten older, my son is in second grade and my daughter is in fourth grade, and I'm just seeing like the books that they bring home, and I open it up and I start reading it. And I'm like, this is actually good. Zoo, we mama. And I see them devouring some of the books, like that. My son just. I take him to the library every week and he loves it and he picks out books and he will sit down on the floor and start reading them like the librarians love him. So I think like that has been part of my life in the past (laughs) years and Diary of a Wimpy Kid specifically because it is such a, it's just so popular with kids. We don't have to talk about content as it relates to only adults because kids also consume a lot of content and... You know, at first I was thinking, should we talk about slime videos on YouTube? And then I thought, I just don't have enough to say about this topic. (laughs) So then the next logical choice was Diary of (laughs) a Wimpy Kid. And and there is, I think, enough to talk about there in in terms of what is cool about it, why it's so binge-worthy for children, and how we can tie that back into startups and B2B content.
1: I couldn't agree more, and we could have done slime videos, or we could have done unboxing videos, or any of the other weird things. And you know, we judge the the little ones for some of their taste and content, but then you know, so much of us watch you know ridiculous things. You know, you get the the video on your Instagram of of someone putting like a new seal on their garage, and you're like, I mean, I'll watch this for like thirty eight seconds. Yeah, I'm like they're just like oh. <laughs> sealing the floor <laughs> of their garage with like Seriously. a big wiper.
2: also cute animal videos, you know, (laughs) like how did that person get this animal into their house and their friends? Yes. Right. Like that is not a pet I would allow in my house, but somehow they're able to to do it (laughs) and have a great time and nobody gets hurt. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something to be said around don't judge your kids' content consumption too soon.
1: Yeah, if you give me a a raccoon video where they're washing their owners, all of their stuff, in like the dog food bowl, like I'm I'm hooked <laughs> totally. So, anyways, tell us a little bit more about your work at Ferminov Marketing Consulting and what you do with startups.
2: Yes, I started it in 2020, right before the pandemic. Great choice, <laughs> great year. No, just kidding. It it was a great choice, and I focus on early stage startups, typically seed funded. Must be venture backed, and I help them with their marketing and growth efforts because usually they are technical founders, they are building the product, they, of course, are focused on the sales side of go to market strategy, but not the marketing side. And so I kind of help round that out, and I come in as a fractional head of marketing, and we work on all of the foundational stuff, voice of customer research positioning, messaging, website, go-to-market strategy, content strategy, the stuff that I used to do when I was working full-time at Series A startups, but I found that there's a really big need for seed startups.
1: Could not agree more. And I'm so glad that you're doing the work because they need it. They need the help and they just need someone who understands the fundamentals of marketing to come in and teach them.
2: That's right. I'm glad you're appreciative of the work that I do, Ian.
1: <laughs> well, you know, we work with our fair share of not quite that early, but definitely post Series A. And, uh, you know, just convincing people that marketing is important and like where that fits into sales and marketing and how these all work together to drive revenue is super important. And honestly, the truth of the matter is, any times that I've consulted with startups on their marketing strategy, you're actually really consulting on their entire revenue strategy because they fundamentally don't understand the difference between sales and marketing in most cases and like what is sales and what is marketing so most of the time you're you end up doing it all anyway it's like oh sales enablement sure like product marketing sure you know outbound great inbound great you know it's kind of everything
2: kind of everything and you do there's so much mixing over onto the sales side because there needs to be that alignment with like okay The marketing side, but how then do you tie that to pipeline and revenue? So, impacting sales, you're absolutely right. I think a lot of early stage startups don't understand marketing and don't see how it's valuable as part of their go to market strategy. And so, you're right. Like the best clients that I have, they do see the value and I don't have to do the convincing. And they've tried some things and they're like, this isn't as easy as I thought. Like, writing is, I thought I could write but that's not all you need to know <laughs> with marketing, right? So yeah,
0: it's been a really good good journey.
1: Meredith, what is Diary of a Wimpy Kid?
0: So Diary of a Wimpy Kid is a children's book series uh, about this boy named Greg Heffley, and it's his journal about navigating middle school and his relationships with his friends and family. So it's written in his voice, um, which we'll get to in a second. But was created by Jeff Kinney, who dreamed of being a newspaper cartoonist, but it never really happened for him. And so he can never really get his cartoons syndicated.
3: I went through about three years of sending out submissions and then getting rejected. So it was really kind of soul crushing.
0: So he ended up getting a day job. And while working at this day job, he was putting ideas into a notebook and he worked on it for eight years, just compiling these ideas. And he was also at the same time watching Harry Potter, like all the Harry Potter movies were coming out. And he's like, well, Harry Potter is like very heroic and brave. But like, that wasn't how I was as a kid.
3: I was a kid who was an average kid, but I had very wimpy moments.
0: (laughs) And so his notes were sort of shaped around who he was as this young kid who was not heroic, but a lot more realistic. And so he writes about like feeling jealous of the popular kids, but sort of like brushing it off, like being afraid of the bullies and kids who are already growing facial hair in middle school. And so in other words, he really writes in the voice of a kid and how he really experienced middle school himself. So there's this real authentic, I think, voice to it. He calls the other kids morons and the middle school is dumb and all of that. So he like sort of brushes it off in that little boy way, the things that kind of bug him. But so he started working on Diary of a Wimpy Kid in 1998, and he actually meant for it to be this nostalgic book for adults. I think it was like a very long book.
3: In fact, the first draft was 1,300 pages long, and it was meant to be uh, sort of a, a primer a a nostalgia piece for adults.
0: And he was like, you know, this is going to be something that like, I want adults to read and be like, oh, you know, this resonates with me because this was my experience in middle school. So it wasn't until 2006 when he happened to bring a sample manuscript to New York Comic Con. And it ended up getting picked up by this publishing company who also had a booth there called Abrams. And Abrams does like really fancy, like, coffee table art books, but for whatever reason, they were like, this is amazing, this is what we're looking for, we want to, you know, sign you, and so they made this multi-book deal with him for a series, and the first one was published in 2007, so this was, like, years in the making, and, like, lots of just, like, like suspended hope that one day, you know, it would get picked up. And now there are 17 books in the series. There are 84 editions. It's been translated into 69 languages. And more than 275 million copies have been sold globally. There are three spinoff books. I mean, it just keeps going on and on, right? The four live action films, two animated films on Disney. And there's a musical. There are tons of licensed products. There are even like emojis. And there is a Greg Heffley balloon in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And so, like this has really exploded. It took a long time. So it's like, just keep going, you know? And when I was thinking about this, like, the books are written in Greg Hefley's voice, right? And on that note, like, I think parents and teachers kind of loathe the books.
3: I think what most parents and teachers have come to understand is that my books are good gateway reading, is that they're not the books you want your kids to end up reading but they're a great way to get them started. And I'm very comfortable with that.
0: Like kids always like picking up on the book, but there's something so addictive about it.
2: I can't stop reading them. Like I read them over and over all
0: the time. And so I'm wondering, Anna, like you said your son laughs out loud when he reads it. What is it about the way that he's written these books that makes them so like addictive for kids, do you think? So
2: I think there's a few things for why do kids want more? The stories kind of keep you on your toes.
1: It's just so funny and
3: interesting. You never know what's going to happen next.
2: Because it talks about the... He talks about the absurdity of daily life. I'm not going in with a poop stain on my pants. What should be mundane and boring turns into the, like, absurd.
1: No, it, it isn't what it looks like. It isn't.
2: It's chocolate. And that's why kids laugh out loud. And... So like, for example, I'm assuming a lot of people haven't read Diary of a Wimpy Kid, because why would you? But they were having construction on the house. And yes, I did my research with my son last week. So anyway, there's a section where his dad wanted Greg to get his hands dirty. And so he goes out and tries to help the construction workers. But Greg isn't really like wanting to get his hands dirty. So he's trying, but they don't really like him. So they tell him to do dumb jobs. And he's like, oh, i that's a j- dumb job. They just did that on purpose and he starts to realize that and then he's like, wait, I know, I'm going to go bring them their lunches so that they like me more. And then, he wants to do a good job, right? He brings them the lunches but then he drops the meatball sandwich and the meatball like starts rolling away and um, then he like, throws it out and hopes that nobody sees it. So, I think there's just this absurdity to the mundane and Kids are like, how is this going to end? This is just like getting so bad. What is going to happen next? So I think that's what creates this momentum for kids to start reading it. And then they're like, I got to keep going because it's going to get worse before it gets better. And there's always something new that gets worse. Because it's a diary. So he like starts on a Wednesday and then it like continues and then it's Friday and then it's the next week. And, and so it literally is like a diary and continues.
0: I feel like underneath it all, there's this like desire to really be liked, you know, and wanting to help and wanting to be popular and like making a mistake Oh God, I know I've done something like that. You know what I mean? When you're young and you're just like, I'm going to be super helpful, but this might be a task that's like a little bit above me, but I'm still going to try really hard. And and if I can pull it off, then they're going to love me, you know? So I think it's like that could really resonate with kids. I know like immediately I'm like, Oh yeah, I totally have done stuff like that when I was younger. And I think too, just like, like writing in the kid's voice is, I think is like, he knows his audience, you know? And it's interesting that when I was looking into the backstory of it, it, was Abrams, the publishing company, that really was like, "No, like make this for kids, not for adults."
3: Never for a second in the eight years I was working on Diary of a Wimpy Kid did I think that I was writing for kids.
0: So I think it's interesting that that was the turning point for him, and I don't know that it would have had it. I don't think it would have had or been as as successful as a, an adult book. You know what I mean? So I think like knowing his audience, like writing to them. And now he's like a celebrity.
3: <laughs>
0: if you're wondering what all the cheering is about,
2: Jeff
3: <laughs> It's because Jeff Kinney has just produced something all these kids have been waiting for.
0: Like you see videos of him and they he's like high-fiving him. all the kids like running through this crowd. Forget Taylor Swift. Bonkers. Like, Don't say that. <laughs>
1: I just want, want it to be known for all of our listeners that we are staunchly pro-Taylor all the time. <laughs> I think it's super fascinating that he started as a cartoonist because it makes a lot of sense that he could then write stories that sort of have a similar structure as a as a cartoon, right? Like, cartoons are very much like you know, this three-act structure, right? Like, every time. So if he's telling a story of the mundane and you think of, like, Calvin and Hobbes or, you know, some of the, the best comics that are about kids or Peanuts or or whatever's it's where they're tapping into something that the parent is reading and the kid is reading in a way that is super unique. And you're hitting both. And I think Diary of a Wimpy Kid has more so on the kid side to your point that it doesn't have the parent side, but we've all been there as kids and we all sort of understand what that's like. I think it's also really fascinating to write the story of like, you know, just calling a diary of a wimpy kid is clearly identifying what this is, right? It's like, it's not your normal hero. It's not someone who even, you know, is a hero most of the time. And it's super mundane. And like that compared to a lot of the you know, other children's stories, like, you know, raw doll stories, which are, like, so crazy with their all the stuff that is going on. Or, you know, like, Shel Silverstein. And then you have, like, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, which is so fascinating because it's so, so mundane, but so real and, like, so lived in.
3: This is boys wrestling. Ever hear of Title Nine?
1: Her parents threatened to sue, so you show her what it's like to wrestle a real live boy. And the kids just identify with this dude and they just he is their guy he's their hero
2: even though it's called diary of a wimpy kid and wimpy is not heroic we just talked about what wimpy means yesterday with my son who asked like what's wimpy and so wimpy is not heroic but like i had to explain what wimpy was it's not strong it's scared, (laughs) kind of, you know, not taking on, scared to do, try new things. And you don't want to be wimpy usually, but here you connect with his wimpiness. And so what I think that kids really love, just going back to that question of like wanting more is you get to know and love the characters so deeply. And you start to like really love this wimpy kid for his wimpiness. if that makes sense. Because, and I think that's actually common for the most loved books, shows, series. You really get to know and love the characters. It's not just Greg. It's his older brother, his younger brother, Manny, who's like a genius. But then when his parents find his blankie, that's like all torn up and then throw it in the trash, just goes nuts. (laughs) And he, he turns into like some other child. And, (laughs) <laughs> starts to call Greg names like Bloopy or something like that. And yeah, it's, again, absurd. <laughs> absurd things happen when you throw away the your little kid's blankie. So, but I think it's like the getting to know and loving the characters and seeing the wimpy as a good thing versus a bad thing.
1: It's also like such an incredible juxtaposition of like how heroes are are often portrayed like obviously you have people who are reluctant and you have you know the little engine they could or you have like all everybody loves a comeback story everybody loves an underdog so like there's tons and tons and tons and tons of stories about that but those are told from an exterior perspective they're not told by the wimpy person who's <laughs> self-identifying themselves as a wimp as someone who's scared and we love those people we love goonies we love you know, these characters that are scared of the dark that, you know, do need to bring a flashlight, like we we identify with those people and kids identify with it most of all because they're afraid of those things or they're, you know, not the strongest kid in their class or, or or whatever it is. And, you know, we'll get into the B2B lessons here in a second, but but I think it's just so important that acknowledging, you know, who you are and who you aren't is like how the story started, right? It's like the story started by being like, this is not Harry Potter who's brave, Right.
2: Yeah, you can read another book if you want to see that. This is not where this is going. And I just want to bring in another example, just because I just love these different like diary entries. So Greg was on a falling ladder. He was outside of his house. He was on a ladder. The ladder was falling. His brother was supposed to be holding it. And he wasn't. He was inside doing something else, of course. And so the ladder is like about to topple over, and then before it does, he he manages to climb onto the roof. And then he's like, "Well, I'm on the roof." And then he's there. He's like, "I don't know what to do." And so then I don't know. Hours, minutes pass. Hours pass. He's like, "I'm so hot. It must have been in the summer." He, blow, of course, blows it out of proportion that he's so hot, he needs water, right? He finds a window and it's into the bathroom. His mom is showering in there. And so he quietly tries to get in and he manages to do it, but then his foot gets stuck in the toilet and he's just like in and you can just and you see it because there's like the visual of it and you're like that is such an absurd situation i i hope my kids never get into it but now if they read about it they almost like oh yeah i know what to do (laughs) right so it's kind of almost developing like this if this happens to you here's the roadmap for how to get out of it so
1: and the thing that makes me think of is like mr bean or mr magoo or you know these like derpy you know (laughs) protagonist that that just it's always you know one foot leads them into into destruction into a worse out of the frying pan into the fire and just like how much we love watching the train wreck is just really fun
2: so true i forgot about mr bean
1: He's balling. I don't too. know. He's probably collecting those checks. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: He must be cuz shut up Mr. Bean. Okay, so let's totally. marketing lessons. We'll do Mr. Bean on a separate episode. <laughs> so, what do you think? What do you think marketers can take away from Diary of a Wimpy Kid? Anna.
2: I think we can both learn some valuable lessons from this. The purpose of your content. A lot of content strategies focus on educating and maybe inspiring people, right? Um, Maybe, but it's mostly educating people. Like, here's how to do this. Here's how to get more conversions. Here's how to update your website. Here's how to sell faster, sell more. Uh, Of course, I'm leaning more towards like MarTech and sales tech and all that stuff. But a lot of content strategies are focused on the educating and not as many are focused on entertaining. We were talking about Instagram and how we are there. We are adults and we want to just get entertained, right? And that's okay. Kids want to get entertained. Adults want to get entertained too. So don't forget about the entertaining side when you think about the purpose of your content. And I think a lot of B2B companies can actually think about, you know, get creative and think about creating something like Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and I think some companies are doing something to this effect. Like the absurdity of sales, the absurdity of marketing, the absurdity of X, whatever the target buyer that you're selling to, they experience in their you know workday. I think it could be entertaining. It could be funny it hooks you in. It keeps you coming back. Like, what, what are they going to talk about next? And so you end up having content that is just like a wider range of things and not just focused on the educational. I also think that you could potentially, I was just thinking about like, oh, this could really flip blog posts on their heads, right? Or case studies. If we would mimic something like Diary of a Wimpy Kid and how they lay things out with words and pictures to tell a story, that's essentially what Diary of a Wimpy Kid is, right? And you could mimic that. And you can can create something that looks so different from a typical blog post or case study or any long form content. Because that's the beauty of marketing, right? It's about trying out new ideas and seeing what sticks.
1: And you can do anything. And that's like literally why we made the show is that you can do that. I was thinking about the case study angle as well. And I was thinking it would be so funny if you made a case study that specifically, like I was thinking about like customer onboarding, like we're making a podcast or we made a podcast where like everything went wrong. We had to push dates, we had to do stuff. You know, like, every single thing went wrong. And, like, that's how creative work is. Like, it's, it is crazy. It's nonlinear. You're pinging around. You're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. That's how, like, onboarding a new technology is. You know, and it's like, hey, adoption. We're six weeks in. What's our adoption rate? Like, 2%. Like, crap. <laughs> you know, like, but it would be so funny if someone told a story like that and had the person, like the champion, who like advocated for this tech and and spent all their political capital on it or like, we got to do this and had like every single step of it be like just one foot in front of the other, like stepping in mud, then a paint can, then, you know.
2: Everything uh, that could go wrong goes wrong.
1: Yeah. And then it's like, and then we got to launch and the skies parted for a second and then the clouds rolled in and then it rained. It's like, and after a year of using it, it's like... Our company loves it. You know, 80% of the people said it's the best tool they've ever used and like blah, 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 blah. Like it's not always an easy road to get there sort of a thing. And I was thinking about them. Like if you told like a super honest story like that and very authentic and like highlight all the absurd things, like we were supposed to go live on November 1st, that got completely canceled. You know, like we had like for us, you know, a host and then we have to go find a new host and re record and what can we use? And like there's so many things that you could tell there that show that you know, we always want to show the easy button, but, um,
2: how can you make it more real?
1: Yeah. And it shows like the reality of the situation. And then, you know, expectations re- meet reality and people are pretty happy. It's when they don't that people get upset.
2: Absolutely. I think I've just, maybe it's me, but I've seen a lot of case studies that are just this look the same. They're just boring. How can you weave more emotion into case studies? I know it's possible. Because one of of the questions I like to ask in my voice of customer research work is, how has this tool, platform, whatever, changed your life? And that's a big deal. That's emotional. That's big, right? And so when you hear the answers, maybe it's something that you can blow up a little bit more, make people laugh, make people cry. Overall, how can you make people feel more connected over the emotional stuff?
1: Let's talk voice here for a second. As we've said, that it's it's coming from a first person narrative, and he uses a lot of colloquialisms. You know, Meredith, you meant, mentioned that teachers don't like it, or you know, and parents sometimes because he doesn't. He uses words like "wanna" and going to and all that stuff. So, Anna, like, why is it so important to think about that voice and to think about like? An authentic voice. And I know that that stuff is thrown around all the time. Right in your voice. What's your brand voice? And be authentic and all this stuff. But like, how the heck do people actually do this? Because it's freaking hard. But when you get it right, it feels really good.
2: I think it just, like, I use wanna, gonna. And I, I feel like I'm a smart person. And I should know better. I also wanna... Want people to like know who I am and know that I'm not this polished, you know, know everything, professional, super buttoned up. That's not the persona that I want to give off. Wait, you um, not? No, can you believe it? <laughs> when I started my podcast, it was just Google Meets, and I was like, "Are there stuffed animals behind me?" Oh gosh. All right, whatever. I'm just going to create this video clip. So, and I still do, I still have that. So <laughs> that's just part of that's me, right? That's part of who I am. And I think there are very few people who are okay with that. There's one person that comes to mind that's on LinkedIn quite a bit and people know him. And his name is Dave Gerhardt. And he literally shares like photos of himself sitting at his work desk. The bottom part is like shorts, long socks. And like stuff on the floor. <laughs> and the top part looks like pretty, you know, he might be wearing a nice, nicer shirt or whatever, but <laughs> that's it. And he, and I think that is so cool. And that comes back, like d- that ties back to Diary of a Wimpy Kid a little bit in that you're not here to show people to, to just be fake. You're here to be real, creating a space for other people to be real with you which creates connection, which creates likability. So I use wanna, gonna and that makes me, I think people connect to me much easier because of that. They like the posts I put, I hope, put out on LinkedIn. And um, I use those words when I post on LinkedIn. Sometimes mm-hmm. I use it in my monthly newsletter. I never use that in my client contracts because I think that's going too far. <laughs> but in my content, I'm going to use words like wanna gonna because I think there's a place and a space to do that and I picked that as my you know vibe. And I think it's important for startups this is also an exercise we go through is like what is your personality what's your vibe how you know security startup might not wanna use wanna gonna. That's fine, but at least figure it out so that y- you kind of have a direction and a roadmap for what you want your content to look like sound like feel like because it's a package you put it together and you don't think it is but like the way that you show up online offline is a package of like who you are and how people whether people will want to connect with that or not
1: yeah i think the the message is not necessarily that you should use conversational language all the time it's that you should use the conversational language of who you're selling to because if you're selling an enterprise cybersecurity you know Software that's you know ten million dollar deals and you know is keeping people out of prison, like you probably need to match whatever voice that those people talk and talk about it with and to the to the showing pictures and that side of it, I definitely will go on the record saying I don't need to see Dave Gerhardt's legs but but you know i I am proud of him for doing it
2: <laughs> It takes I, courage, you know it takes courage <laughs> to show like he used to be a top executive <laughs> at this and this company, right? And now he's working from home and he's got his own company and he's still able to just share images like that because there's a level of like, yeah, I'm successful, but I'm not going to put up like this air about it.
1: Yeah. And uh, and I think that with Diary of a Wimpy Kid, the author obviously was writing for himself, you know, and his experiences, but was writing as a child.
2: Hi, Yadok! Can I get a new butt? My own run has a crack in it!
1: And like, honed in on what it feels like to write as a child. And when you go through that exercise, one of the great exercises that that I heard about, this is tangential, but this is what the show is all about. So, Robert McKee, who wrote Story, said an exercise that when you're writing a character, you should take them out to get a drink. And he's like, you got to, you know, you got to go, you got to pick them up. They got to sit in your car. How would they sit? How would they talk? You go to the store. What are they going to order? What are they going to eat? How are they going to eat it? You know, you do like all that sort of stuff. And to like really figure out, you know, what this person would be like. And you need to do that with your customers. Right. You need to not only like be around them and listen to them and, and hear how they talk, but also like imagine the things that they would do. And like most of all, diary of a wimpy kid it feels like it's a kid. Like it's crazy that it's not a kid. It's crazy it's, that an adult wrote it.
2: <laughs> it's crazy to me too. I bet you he must do something as part of his totally. process. To, because it's you know, we get older and we lose touch with a little bit of that side, unfortunately um and maybe fortunately cuz we need to grow up but i bet you he has kids i don't know does he
0: he has two kids yeah and they're both boys i was actually just thinking about that yeah i yeah
2: and so he is in it he's in this probably or used to be recently in in all of this and i'm sure he's grabbing some of it from his own childhood or some things like he gets ideas from seeing what his kids are up to because there's so much stuff like Before you pressed record, I was talking about how my son was bringing back Diary of a Wimpy Kid just too much. Or maybe it was my daughter who's in fourth grade. And I, no, it was my son. And I told the teacher, I emailed her and said, Can you find other books? Like, can you recommend other books? She thought it meant like, do not give him any more Diary of a Wimpy Kid. He came out that day after school with such a sad look on his face, (laughs) tears about to stream down his face. Saying, how could you like, how could you do this? My teacher won't give me Diary of Wimpy Kid. He was so upset because the teacher thought I said no more Diary of Wimpy Kid, which I didn't. I said just like mix in some other ones. But when you live with children, you are in those (laughs) moments. And I think it's easier to write about. But tying back to B2B though, you don't live with your target buyer, (laughs) right? But somehow you have to mimic that like knowledge of, (laughs) What they're feeling, what they're frustrated about, their daily, their day, right? So that's why it's so important to check in with that and to have these voice of customer research conversations. I can't emphasize enough how important it is to do that. You can't write a book about something from that perspective if you're not in it. You can't write content if you're not in some way in it, right? And super in the community, talking to people understanding their goals and challenges and emotions and frustrations and you know what they're worried about and what they're excited about. You just can't. So you, you have to, since you don't live with them, you have to kind of artificially create that.
1: When we were writing Murder in HR, I was talking to a former CHRO and I was showing them the story and talking through it and they, they read it. And they were like, oh yeah, somebody almost died when I had our company kickoff at our SKO, I was like, no way. It's like, yeah, I found them like face down in a pool of blood that got impaled by a an umbrella, you know, like an umbrella that you'd sit at, like, at a resort. And I was like, what? They're like, yeah, P- apparently they were like drinking too much and like tripped and fell and like somehow whatever and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, man, we're writing this murder mystery about, you know, someone who is super silly and gets electrocuted on stage and all this stuff. And they're like, this isn't even that far off. It's not even that far off from reality, and so it was just one of those things. Like I would have never got that story ever if I didn't, like you know, present this other extremely ridiculous hypothetical murder mystery crazy thing. It's like, oh yeah, no, that's actually, too far off. You know, it's like stuff like that. You're like, man, to elicit the to ask the right questions, like. It's so hard to, to get to those stories. But when you do, you know, you're like, you uncover like kernels of gold. And he's like, yeah, every single CHRO absolutely hates sales kickoff. It's the worst thing of the year sales kickoff. Because that's when everybody gets in trouble. And I'm like, I would have never known that, you know?
2: You never know unless you're in it, right? Experiencing that or talking to people that experience it over and over again.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. So obviously you work with a lot of startups, that are seed stage and all of that, you mentioned one of the things that that you do is, is those customer conversations and how important that is. Any other sort of pieces of advice for our listeners who are in startup land other than, you know, they should talk to you?
2: Other than they should talk to me? Yeah, I would say that starting with the foundational stuff, You think it's just like, just wave your hand. I'll do it someday. It's not important right now. You've got to start with the foundational pieces like voice of customer research, having these conversations with five to 10 of your customers, prospects, understanding them, understanding how they relate to you, why they picked you, what's your differentiated value. All that is really important. Um, And then tying that back into your content strategy When you think about your content strategy, and also when I think about putting out my own content too, because the cool thing is when you have a company and you're kind of all things, I put on my marketing hat, but I also put on my sales hat and I also put on my customer success hat and I put on my all things hat. I think about this stuff too. What's my wedge? What is my point of view? What point of view will I own? What's that unique insight that only I have or very few people have? Very few people are talking about. What are the stories that are not being told yet that should be told? What are the diary of a wimpy kid stories that are not being told? By the way, I'm still working on this. Honestly, for me, like, what's my wedge? Because everyone talks about marketing and everyone talks about, you know, in my circles, marketing needs to tie to pipeline and revenue. There are so many different things. Like everybody talks about how important marketing is and how important content and content is marketing and marketing is content. So thinking about it's very strategic, it's very deep thinking, but it's very important. And I'm still working on this. And I'm kind of in a place where I'm I'm working on it and it's it's iterative and it's probably going to be continue to be iterative over the course of my, you know, building my business. The other thing is the way you package up your point of view matters a ton. We just talked about how with diary of a Wimpy kid, the words matter, the visuals matter, the look and feel matters, cartoon sketches matter. Like when I wor- work with startups on their websites, we have to figure out the the look and feel. Is it going to look like sketches? Is it going to be very crisp, very clean, geometric, like we talk about all that stuff. So the same thing goes for your point of view and how you package it up. Are are you going to be vid- like a lot of videos, talking head stuff, which I do a lot on LinkedIn, talking head. So your point of view, what's your wedge? How are you going to package that point of view up? And also think about like, it's great that you have this like original point of view and you want to share it. But sometimes it's nice also to be Cognizant of what's trending. So, for example, when people were going nuts about ChatGPT, I think it was like December last year. It's been has it been almost a year since ChatGPT came out? I can't burst believe it. Into the
1: scene. Yeah, I think about.
2: I think so, right? So when it first came out, I used it to write. A startup marketing song in Taylor Swift's style and it was pretty good actually and i posted about it on linkedin and it was one of my top performing posts i just i used a tool i didn't have to do anything i used a tool to write the content for me but because chatgpt was so, so interesting and enticing and intriguing at the time everyone was like oh my gosh this is awesome this is you use this tool and you so you have to understand what's trending same thing with Riverside has magic clips, which I'm sure you guys are aware of because you use Riverside. And when I posted about magic clips when it first came out, that's also a really popular post of mine because people are like, "Oh my gosh, this is amazing that you can." So, you have to kind of understand, you know, who are you talking to? What will they care about? And what's what's trending right now? What are people interested in? And think about your approach and how are you you're going to approach that conversation? So, I think those would be like the top things that when I work with my clients, I think about the wedge, I think about the packaging, I think about what's trending. And of course, because we were just talking about Diary of a Kid, I think about what's your human touch. With my own content, I'm, you know, we just talked about, I'm not trying to be buttoned up, the most professional person. <laughs> but that's why people tune in to what I have to say, because I'm bringing things up and just being real about it, have a lot of questions why so I started the podcast originally. I'm like, I have a lot of questions and I just want to bring people on to ask them these questions. And it's morphed into, you know, a different show since then. But it comes back to having a human touch.
1: Final question here. What is your one piece of advice for someone who's like newly ahead of marketing at a startup of how they should think about content?
2: My piece of advice is Start with the strategic thinking, you know, things that I just mentioned. Tie it back to who is your target buyer? What do they do in their day to day frustrations, goals, challenges? Tie it back to more than just the product. So, your content shouldn't just be screaming, like, buy the product. It's product marketing stuff. Mm-hmm. Content needs to extend beyond that. And that's how you get people to be in, in, interested in what you have to say. Give people value. I mean, the the things that you would expect, right? But on top of that, make sure that you figure out what is your unique wedge, what is your unique insight? and um, and then you'll go further with your content. So the two things I recommend is getting really close to your target buyer and understanding things that go beyond your product that they will care about, and then figuring out what's your unique insight that'll make you kind of stand out and have this wedge as part of a larger ecosystem of companies that might sell similar products, but you have something new to say, new to bring to the table.
1: I love it. And wonderful having you on the show. So great to chat with you and our listeners. Go check out her podcast, which you can get 170 plus episodes right at your fingertips, Modern Startup Marketing. Thanks again.
2: Thank you. Don't call me. Don't come by my house. We're done.
1: Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios. B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at CaspianStudios.com. Hollywood-style storytelling For B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.